to the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ababusinesslaw.americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. This is Rick Paskett, and I'm content guy for the business law section. And this is our podcast platform to the extent that uh, our topic today is business lawyers and the rule of law live from the Hague part two. Our host is Judge Elizabeth Stong. Judge Stong is a U.S. bankruptcy judge in the Eastern District of New York, sitting in Brooklyn. And I will let Judge Stong, who is live at The Hague, introduce our guest. Thank you, Rick. Thank you so much. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. Greetings. We are indeed live from The Hague in the Netherlands, where we have had a fantastic three days at the World Justice Forum with an amazing group, 700 in person, several hundred more online. Um, the last speaker at the closing plenary was President Mary Robinson. That, that's the kind of uh, conversation and dialogue that's been going on here. Um, part of our focus has been throughout the forum, thinking about rule of law, thinking of threats to rule of law, and thinking about the perspective of business law and business lawyers in that context. And uh, this afternoon, in an absolutely terrific program, our section's own John Stout was one of the featured speakers on a program, Democracy, Dividends of ESG Investing. Um, we'll get to that in just a moment because you'll have the opportunity to hear, even though you couldn't be here at The Hague, perhaps, some of the highlights and some of the insights from that program. Uh, if you're active in the section, then you surely know John. He's a legend in the section. He's a business organization lawyer at Fredrickson and, Fredrickson, sorry, and Byron, former chair of our section's corporate governance committee, the current co-chair of the section's CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility Committee, and really centrally to today's purposes, co-chair together with Judge Alvin Thompson of the section's working group on rule of law. Um, as you may have learned in part one, uh, illustrating some of the ways that these concepts can come together, John had a, a really important role in uh, coming up with a sustainable solution to an existential threat. What am I talking about? Well, you can listen to part one to find out more about that, but the, the subject matter of that is actually the rhino and the white rhino and the role of business lawyers in addressing an existential threat to that population and doing it both within the box using corporate lawyers' tools of entity formation and advice and outside the box thinking of some really creative ways to expand and make sustainable that solution. So uh, as we as we move into our discussion for part two, um, I want to uh, remind myself, remind John, that we were uh, thinking about sustainability. What is it anyway? Thinking about the rule of law. What is it? How do these fit together? And here's the question I'd like to begin with. Why should a business law care about any of this? Why should a business lawyer care about any of this? John. Well, one answer, thanks for the generous introduction, Elizabeth. One answer to that question is, 
our clients as business lawyers absolutely depend on the rule of law to conduct their business. All of the laws, rules, and regulations and are, are helping them to understand them and work with them, within them, hopefully, most of the time. So, so it's, it's the rule of law is so critical to what they do. They face it in the business decisions and activities every day. And, and we help them do that. And we enjoy the great economy that we have. And, and we've also enjoyed, with a strong rule of law, as the kind of centerpiece of our economy, we have businesses from all over the world coming here to, in some cases, start, in some cases, develop and grow, certainly to raise money, certainly to access markets, and all of that put both them and our economy and our culture, our business culture, really squarely intertwined with having a strong rule of law. And if we lose that as our competitive advantage as a country, we will suffer for that loss. So the rule of law is critical in many ways. So you could imagine that a business lawyer who hasn't had the opportunity really to reflect on this would certainly recognize that it's important we want our society to work, but they still might think it's it's somebody else's job. When I'm drafting deal documents or negotiating a transaction or advising a client on the right entity for a particular kind of investment, how do things like that touch on rule of law so that it's something that that business lawyer, that transactional lawyer, maybe your partner down the hall, uh, you want them to be smart and invested in, bis- in, in rule of law just as much as you want judges and NGOs and law professors and all of those people. How do you make that case? Well, what I'm about to say is that it's not their participation in the rule of law is not an option. It's commanded by the American Bar Association rules of professional responsibility. It is commanded in the rules of professional responsibility of every state. And so it's our job. It's not even while in one sense, I'd like to see it as pro bono, but in another sense, because I'd like to draw more lawyers' attention to it. But in another sense, it's our duty. It's our professional duty. It's not like a nice to. It's a have to. If you have the license, you've got to stand for the rule of law. You've got to help support the rule of law. You've got to help 
stem the decline of the rule of law, which, according to the work of the World Justice Project, started by a former president of the American Bar Association and supported by several presidents who succeeded him, that, that's a must. And the rule and the World Justice Project for the last, I don't know exactly how many, let's say six to eight years of its survey or analysis of the strength of the rule of law in various countries has noted the continuous decline in the U.S. and in most other rule of law-based countries around the world, the decline. So when all of this started out, maybe we were in the top 10 or 12, and uh, slowly but surely over the years, we've descended um, into the top 20 and now to the bottom of it and are on the verge of going into the top 30. So we really do have to, as a profession and as individuals in that profession, step up and help rebuild the rule of law. So I'm thinking about the rhinos and the existential threat and the need to have a sustainable solution. I'm also thinking about going across town, not just down the hall and there's your partners and there's your colleagues, but how does an in-house lawyer think about this? I was really struck by some of the points that were made uh, by your, your fellow speakers on this afternoon's panel concerning the, the role of corporate counsel inside counsel, corporate advisors, corporate compliance experts on making the case to the company, making the case to the board and the CEO. Um, is this a, I'll take your phrase, for a, for, a, for a corporation, say a global corporation, is this a nice to, a nice to have, or is this a must have? How do you think about that if you're inside counsel? Well, part of your job, um, first of all, you're working for fiduciaries of the company as the boards and the managed, senior management team. All of these people have fiduciary uh, duties to act in the best interests of the company and put the best interests of the company ahead of all else. They also, those people also have duties of care to be informed about what's going on and informed in their decision-making with respect to the strategy and development of the organization. And in the world we're in right now, with the tremendous uh, attention provided to the elements of the sustainability continuum, ESG and CSR and DE&I and human rights and social justice, to be joined by the rule of law on which all of those elements are dependent, you, your duty is to make sure that these issues come to 
the attention of the board and are well served by the board and senior management, of which you are a part. So helping the company succeed. And let's take on one of the concerns in the current corporate environment domestically and internationally, is the subject of corruption. We have lost billions of dollars in shareholder value over the last, you could say, few years, so multiple billions of dollars over the last decade because of integrity failures within some of our largest companies. That's on the desk of the general counsel and also, and it's sometimes in the general, sometimes in the internal counsel's office, and sometimes it's separate from the office. But when you think about the compliance function and the consequence of failures to comply with rules and regulations, that not only have implications within the sentencing guidelines, if you're char- if the company is charged with a crime, but it also has implications when it comes to litigation results, fines, and actions relating to the um, you know to governing authorities. The other place where it makes a huge difference is in the recruitment and attention of employees. So quite often your employees are as interested in some of these elements of sustainability, ESG in the environment. They're interested in how the company is performing relative to its energy usage, relative to pollution, whether it's earth, air, water, whatever. And of course, carbon and climate change are front and center. And certainly the interest of a lot of um, employees who are feeling the impact of climate change. So it's really all around them. And a lot of that falls on the desk of the general counsel to make sure that the corporation is is doing the right thing in the midst of all of this. So it sounds like there's a pretty strong business case that could be made, and it's in the C-suite, maybe not only the chief legal officer, but, but the entire C-suite. It's a strategic issue. It's a mission issue. It's a question of uh, minimizing or managing legal risk, reputational risk, uh, recruitment, retention, uh, customers. Uh, you can imagine how quickly uh, something could uh, could spread that could affect a company, certainly a consumer-facing business uh, company's ability to continue if it's not both smart and wise about these kinds of things. Another point that was made by some of the uh, the in-house speakers was, was something they referred to as the governance gap. And the governance gap seems to be the difference between, in effect, what a company would be doing if they were prudently assessing these 
these kinds of things and making uh, good and thoughtful decisions consistent with their fiduciary and other duties. But maybe they don't get it. Maybe they maybe uh, you're in a setting where uh, it still seems like somebody else's issue or a nice to have or maybe something that you'll you'll think about once a year on Earth Day or something. What do you what do you do if you're in a setting and you perceive a governance gap? And then I'll ask you the next question, which is what you do if your CF, if your CEO still doesn't get it. But before we get there, what do you do if there's a governance gap issue? Education, outreach, what would you advise? Well, it, I mean, as because you are a member of that team and you're there for a particular reason, you've got to do your best within the organization to use every lever you can to persuade the team that it needs to address these issues. And you may get some help from outside consultants. You may get some help from competitors who are doing things that are exactly what you think your company should be doing. Peer companies, maybe? Yep, peer companies. And uh, so there, you know, you've got lots of um, potential arrows in your quiver, uh, and you really need to exhaust those. You've got outside auditors, too. You may have inside auditors. So there are some uh, tools that you can use to try to get a management that isn't quite as awake as it needs to be to pay attention. So one of the speakers said, and I thought this this captured so much, you know, we need more success stories. Um, more and more, I think we see examples of the power of just a story. What do you think about success stories and, and how can we find those and how can we get the word out? Well, I think success stories are super important. And, and there are a lot of those stories in our economy. I mean, businesses exist that 10 years ago never existed. And the, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit, when it works well, um, is phenomenal in terms of creating jobs and, and creating wealth. But it's got to be accompanied as, as this conference uh, demonstrated in, in many, many ways. It's got to be people-centric. It's got to be accompanied by a set of values that are really, that are your North Stars, if you want to call it. And one of the issues around that is, of course, it's fun to proclaim success stories. But we know that recently there have been some interesting cases on the subject of greenwashing, companies claiming to be attuned to some of these subjects and overclaiming their, quotes success, being called on the carpet, not only by investors and litigants, yeah. but their employees, and in some cases, their competitors. Uh, so it's a uh, success stories are great. 
But <laughs> they need to be authentic. Authentic. Authentic success stories. I and like that. And, and it's so interesting. You mentioned entrepreneurial spirit. We so pride ourselves on that in, in, a, in a business community and in a legal community and having an environment where a, a startup is something that can actually be achieved with a good idea and maybe a bit of an appetite or willingness to take risk. I wonder if there's a way to think about the rule of law as something to which this same entrepreneurial spirit could be applied. What do you think? It's an interesting thought. Um, well, you inspired because, it, my friend. <laughs> well, it's an interesting thought because if you put your mind to creative ways in which we could address some of the issues relating to the rule of law, you and I both know that people would have some fantastic ideas about how to engage not only themselves directly, but they'd have fantastic ideas about how to teach the importance or demonstrate the importance of the rule of law where it really made a huge difference to an entrepreneur or to a particular startup company that without you know the rule of law and being able to use that to help the business accelerate help the business attract you know investment which is you know governed by lots of laws um, help the business and we know that a number of the startups don't work help them stay out of your courtroom oh we we organize companies in my courtroom we give them a wonderful second chance and we get the creditors paid too i i i want to keep thinking about the <laughs> entrepreneurial spirit and how to bring it to bear because we are so very good at it and it is really it's a, lawyers would aspire to that in in many ways i think business lawyers understand that i want to take that lens and apply it to the rule of law. Maybe that will be our next podcast. John, maybe, I have to maybe ask. Maybe our, our next well, initiative will be to send you on the road. Well, there could be that. And we are here in The Hague as we, uh, as we wrap our uh, second in this series. I just have to ask you this, my friend. You've been a lawyer 55 years, which I guess means you were a 10-year-old lawyer, um, probably the youngest in history. What have you seen in terms of changes and how we as lawyers think about this thing, the rule of law, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, would you have imagined that we might be having a conversation about the rule of law and, and, and possible threats Actually, to the rule of law? I, I can imagine that because we, I was born before we went into World War II. And just at the end of the Great Depression, when some really big laws were passed and some really big ideas for our society and building our social safety net were put in place. And, you know, relative to today's um, meeting, we really stand on the shoulders of some people who did some really great things in the law, some of them very much within our lifetime. How about the Civil Rights Act? How about Title VII? 
the changing gender relations. But we stand on the shoulders of those people, and you know what, Elizabeth? Now it's our turn. Well, John, we stand on yours as well. Thank you for everything you've done and everything you will do. Thank you, dear listeners, for joining us for um, uh, Business Lawyers and the Rule of Law. Well, thank you. And this concludes Live from the Hague, part two. And there will definitely be more podcasts on rule of law in the future. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Section's podcast series, To the Extent That. The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic, or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.